Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Still enjoying your meal, which I thought was splendid, and we thank Country Kitchen Catering for preparing it and serving it. Marion, did you enjoy it, Marion? Did you enjoy it? Oh, very good. I'm so pleased. Yeah. <laughs> so I bring the audience back to the SACPA session, the first in 2014, and the first of the 48th year for SACPA. This is just amazing. Uh, and the speaker today was... Uh, Dr. Jason Deneuve, and he spoke about uh, uh, energy literacy. And next week's talk is um, entitled Politics and Policy versus Policy, the Root Causes of Controversial Legislation. The speaker is Dr. Trevor Harrison, and the moderator is Terry Sherlington. So without any further ado... I think I will ask uh, Dr. Donev to come up to the podium and uh, entertain your excellent short questions. I'm, I'm not surprised there are already people lining up with the microphone. Please. Thank you very much, my name is Tad Mitsui. As you can see, I was born and grew up in Japan. And the fear of nuclear, anything to do with nuclear, is in my DNA. Mm -hmm. Not just a bomb, but a nuclear fallout, uh, which killed a few Japanese fishermen in the Bikini Atoll. And the latest thing is Fukushima. And... Uh, what do you do? I mean, oh, as you, I listen to you, uh, nuclear energy option looks to be a little bit more, how should I say, attractive. But I cannot get rid of a fear, mm -hmm. and I cannot get, get rid of my DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, so issues are two. Nuclear leaks and fallout... What do you do with the spent fuel? Thank you. Okay. Uh, so, Japan has been, uh, unfortunately, the the uh, recipient of the the worst nuclear action ever taken. Uh, both the first and the second, the uh, the bomb dropped on Hiroshima, the bomb dropped on on Nagasaki. And then later there was the, the fallout from the Bikini Atoll nuclear weapons testing. And definitely real, definitely a problem. Um, one of the difficulties with the nuclear industry is that the nuclear industry started with a bang <coughs> uh, with, with the bomb. And that is terribly unfortunate. Um, I think if it hadn't started with the bomb we wouldn't have coal plants today. Because I don't think the fear that you're talking about is uniquely Japanese, uh, although I can certainly understand where Japan would have a larger dose of this than, than anyone else. 
moving forward to what happened with the uh, the tsunami and the earthquake and the I feel rather unfortunate focus on the nuclear uh, the, the the actual nuclear reactors is that Japan underwent a huge natural catastrophe killing almost 20,000 people with one of the worst tsunamis in history and to me part of the tragedy is that that is being ignored in favor for a rather expensive but not terribly catastrophic nuclear accident catastrophic in terms of loss of human life so Fukushima is not the same as Hiroshima it is not the same as Nagasaki where tens of thousands of people died in both Hiroshima and Nagasaki there were no deaths whatsoever at Fukushima due to the release of radiation none however the fear that you're talking about led to uh, people being abandoned in the hospital to die because the radioactive concern got in my opinion so blown out of proportion radioactivity is something that occurs naturally it is given off naturally we are being irradiated at the moment from radon gas because we're in a basement we are being irradiated at the moment from the sky cosmic rays come down and and get us uh, and that accounts for about half of the radiation that we experience the other half of the radiation we experience rough you know, big round numbers is actually coming from human-made sources of which well over 99 percent is coming from various medical procedures how many people have had an x-ray in the past year okay that is more radiation than you will experience than living next to a nuclear power plant now when you have something like Fukushima happen it is terrible it is awful but it's important to keep these things in context the context for me is no one talked about the 50 people who died in the uh, the oil refinery that blew up which is way more than the number of people who died as a result of the nuclear accident I don't know how to overcome people's fear people make their decisions based on their emotions um, and I respect that I do it too I'd, I'd love to say that as a physicist I'm immune from that and that would be a flat-out lie uh, how do you get over the fear I think it's different for every people every individual I like becoming as informed as I possibly can uh, if I were to heaven forbid suddenly come down with cancer I know that my response to that would be to learn everything that I could about that and about various treatments that I could have and so forth and that would bring me some measure of comfort I know other people who are not like that they want somebody else to say no 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 really it's going to be okay so I don't I don't think I have a good answer for how do you get over the fear but the fear is real and the fear is a problem it's interesting to note that as I mentioned we live in Alberta and we have an awful lot of coal 32 million tons of coal it turns out that there's uranium in that coal and when we burn the coal the uranium winds up being spread out over the countryside so you get exposed to more radioactivity from burning coal than you do from living next to a nuclear power plant but because we're not scared of it it's not a problem anybody remember the Three Mile Island accident back in 1979 a normally operating Alberta coal-fired power plant is giving off more radioactive 
material to the environment than Three Mile Island did during the disaster. Fukushima, that's not the case. More radioactivity re was released from Fukushima than from Three Mile Island. It's peanuts compared to what happened with Chernobyl. If you look at the 1986 Chernobyl accident uh, just outside of Kiev, there were 56 people who died immediately, and there was radioactivity spread all over Western Europe, which led to possibly as many as 4,000 additional cases of cancer total over the, the, the following decades. We did not see that kind of release from Fukushima. I, I know the media has said otherwise, but, but the media, in my opinion, has grossly distorted this. Have I answered your first question? Okay. Yeah, you had a second. Yeah. Uh, yes. Correct. The spent fuel. Okay. Please, please go to the microphone. No, I, I was, I was going to come to the spent fuel. Um, may I leave the microphone for a moment? Not all of it, but, but when you talk about a spent nuclear fuel rod, that's what it looks like. It looks the same going in and coming out. Now, given that this, this is this big, this big around, size of a fire log, how long do you think that would last a family of four in Alberta? Years, yeah, about, about a century. That's 100 years worth of fuel for your family here in Alberta. So, yes, it's deadly. Yes, it needs to be properly taken care of, but it's actually really, really small. The total volume of nuclear waste in Canada from 50 years of electricity production would fill up this room, floor to ceiling, and out into the hallway. And that's it. That's the total. So, to somebody in the nuclear industry, nuclear waste is actually a very small problem, and once again, it gets back to your first point about fear. If we, dum -dum -dum -dum, if we talk coal for a moment, we've got this train of coal, and this is, this is being burned right now in Alberta every year, a coal train that goes from Calgary all the way to Sudbury. When you take coal and you burn it, you are combining it with oxygen from the atmosphere, and you are creating three times the mass of carbon dioxide. So if you want the carbon dioxide, it's not one train, it's now three trains. And what do we do with all the waste from coal? We breathe it. Okay? We breathe it. We make slush that becomes solid waste that has to be disposed of. Highly toxic waste that must be put somewhere tons of it every day at every single power plant that burns coal in Canada. Lots and lots of waste. What do we do with it eventually? We bury it underground. It turns out that coal ash is also used as construction material, so uh, this wall may in fact be made from coal ash. Okay? So we have ways of using it and so forth and so on. When we are talking solar, 
Solar panels do not grow on trees, nor do you dig a solar panel out of the ground. There is an environmental consequence for the process of making solar panels like this. You have disiling, you have, you have a lot of very hazardous chemicals. I have yet to be able to find a quantity or a quality of how much or how deadly that waste is. Every single source of electricity has waste. The difference about nuclear versus anything else, versus, we'll just pick on coal, keep picking on coal, is that coal has pollution, nuclear does not. And I distinguish between pollution and waste in that pollution is that which is getting into the environment which is harming the environment. And because this is entirely contained within that bundle, and these bundles are kept on site in a swimming pool being watched because they are things that we get concerned about because they are deadly if they are not properly taken care of. These bundles are entirely contained and therefore don't have any pollution associated with them. So I'm not trying to claim there's no environmental risk, but unless you have something like Fukushima, there is actually very little environmental harm. So would you rather a surefire environmental disaster of burning all this coal or a potential environmental disaster that wouldn't actually be as bad anyways even if we did have a, a waste spill. So what are we going to do with it? It's being kept in these pools for about 20 years, so they cool down both in the radioactive sense and in the thermal sense. After they've done that for a while, you then stick these in uh, basically bunkers, concrete storage areas, for anywhere between 50 to 250 years. They get less radioactivity every year, natural consequence of radioactivity as opposed to the waste from, say, solar, which stays equally toxic for 100,000 years, every year the radioactivity gets less and less and less. And after a certain period of time, you dig a, a big hole in the ground and you bury it. Now, where are you going to find somebody who says, yes, I'll put up with, uh, with nuclear waste in my backyard? And I'm really impressed with the Nuclear Waste Management Organization. See their website at nwmo.org for more information on the Adaptive Phased Management Plan for Nuclear Waste Disposal. But the high point, from my perspective, is they went out there on a cross-country Canada tour and said, we're going to talk to Canadians all across Canada and find out what you want us to do with this nuclear waste. And Canadians said, yep, dig a big hole in the ground, but... It has to be a willing host community. So the Nuclear Waste Management Organization said, okay, we will take volunteers. Communities have to approach us, the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, well, them, I'm not part of it, have to approach the Nuclear Waste Management Organization as a volunteer and say, I would like to learn more about this. And 20, I believe 24 communities, somewhere between 20 and 24 communities, came forward volunteering to say, I want to learn more about nuclear waste disposal. Several have been removed. Uh, there were actually four in Saskatchewan. Uh, three have been removed because they just didn't pass the geologic tests. The remainder of them are all in Ontario. We will have a deep geologic repository. I have a longer technical answer if you'd like that too, which is I don't think we should bury the waste because it's too, too valuable. If we put it in a different type of reactor, we could have 10,000 years worth of fuel as opposed to 100. But that's getting into tech, uh, technical details that are probably beyond. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. I much appreciated your presentation. Thank you. The points you made certainly resonated with me. Um, other than China and a few other countries, investment in energy is all in the private sector. 
It certainly is in the West. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder how you think it will develop in Alberta over the next 10 to 20 years. Okay, so actually after I said mm-hmm, I realized I actually didn't agree with the statement. The statement that investment in the energy sector is largely from the private sector is not a statement I agree with. Tell us why. Uh, because there's an awful lot of research being done at universities and national labs in the U.S., for example, uh, also within Canada, where you have uh, photovoltaic cells, for example, solar panels, were developed largely as a response to Bell, Bell Labs, but that had a fair amount of government funding. Uh, nuclear power was also developed with a lot of government funding. Uh, nuclear power will continue to be developed with a lot of government funding. Uh, the Obama administration earmarked quite a large chunk of change, and I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, for the development of small modular reactors. Coming into Canada, Saskatchewan is an entire, the Saskatchewan Power Company is entirely a crown corporation, and they run the whole electricity grid in Saskatchewan. That's all public money, not private. Um, Ontario is an interesting mix of public and private. You have Bruce Power, you have OPG. So both the development of new technology, the operation of current technology, the development of future technology, all of that is is actually a very complicated mix of a lot of different things. Uh, the oil and gas sector, for example, the universities have a lot of provincial and federal money to develop fracking techniques and uh, improve distillation techniques and waste management techniques. So I, I regret to say I actually disagree with, with the premise. Referring to the research side of things at all, I was referring to the delivery of energy and of the mix that you presented in your presentation for Alberta. How do you see things developing? Okay. I'm not talking about government money into research, which, as you well know, continues to decline. Yes, and I'm not happy about it either. Um, even the operation, though, is, is still somewhat public money, even within Alberta. So things like AESO is not really a private sector organization. But to get to the, the nub of your question, how do I see things go with energy or with electricity specifically? Cover both, if you like, but over the 10, 10 to 20-year time frame, next 10 to 20 years, how do you see it developing in Alberta? Um, I see more of the same. I see Alberta has been growing a lot of natural gas plants and has been doing a fair amount of wind. Um, wind is intermittent. One of, one of the, the really frustrating things about wind power specifically is when the wind blows you get electricity. When it doesn't blow, your hospitals have to shut off, which is bad. So when you have wind power, you have to have natural gas going along with it. There is a huge public cry for wind. People like wind. Um, and every time you, as, as I think it was, yeah, anyway, every time you put up a, a wind turbine, there's got to be gas backing it up somewhere or hydro. I see Alberta continuing to put up wind turbines and using more and more natural gas for the electricity sector uh, for probably 10 to 20 years. I think we're about 15 to 20 years off from climate change becoming the sort of immediate threat that not only can people not deny 
but people start rising up and demanding that we do something about. And once we get to the point where um, climate change becomes unfashionable in all circles to deny, then I see the electricity grid and the energy sector in general changing pretty dramatically. At the moment, it's, it's possible to find pockets of people who are all talking to each other saying, oh, climate change is not happening. Until those pockets evaporate, because, because climate change will just become so overwhelmingly obvious that there's just you don't need a, a computer model to see it, that's when I see things really changing. I don't, I don't actually see it changing much beyond that. And that's, that's true for the, the oil and gas sector as well. Next question. Good afternoon. My name is Stan Knowlton. <clears throat> I just uh, recently installed uh, solar power in my place of residence, and um, I was actually uh, quite amazed at um, how inexpensive it was from parts that were assembled from all over the world. Now, what are the... Um, uh, well, even though it was a little bit of a complex process, it was nothing like reading uh, the energy bill that I get you know, from my <laughs> sure. my provider. So I almost need a physicist to explain how that works. But in theory, I now have the ability to take myself off the grid to electricity, but uh, my energy bill, you know, would show that decrease. But on the other side, there's all these administrative costs that are associated uh, with it. So, in you know, in, in practice, I could literally... Uh, you know, be paying nothing for energy, but everything else is going to the administration. So if you multiply that, you know, by everybody's bills that we have in here across Alberta, how much influence is that going to have on our ability to switch to a much uh, simpler and uh, more effective um, form of energy consumption? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dissect and, and, and pick on some words not to be picky, but to, to make a point. Um, you were talking about electricity specifically, and it's important to note that in Alberta, we use roughly six times as much energy to heat our houses as we do to run our entire electricity in our house. So if you are putting solar panels of a photovoltaic type on your roof, then what you are doing is you are cutting down your electricity bill, but you're probably not doing anything to your water heating and your your uh, home heating. Am I, am I right so far? Okay. From a financial standpoint, you can actually save more money by putting in solar-powered water heaters, and you can have a bigger impact on your, your greenhouse gas emissions. I've never run the numbers. I think it's actually saving you more money to do it that way as well, but people tend to be more interested in, in photovoltaic uh, solar power than uh, heating their water or even heating their house. I, I was having a conversation over lunch about a house that was built 100 years ago that had some very nice passive heating and cooling systems, which actually reduce, makes your house more comfortable without any additional uh, difficulties. Um, it's important to note, yeah, thick walls, exactly. It's important to note that in Alberta, I have heard numbers something to the effect of 70% of our electricity is used by the industrial sector. I can't confirm those numbers yet. I've been trying. Uh, it's that number is not easy to find, as it turns out. Um, so if everyone in this room, if everyone in Lethbridge, if every individual in Alberta stuck solar panels on their roof and put the batteries necessary uh, to 
to keep those solar panels supplying all your electricity needs, that would reduce our total electricity consumption by about 30%. And if you look at uh, things like accidents that happen with batteries that blow up, we would actually see a, an, an unfortunate increase in deaths from doing that. Having, having centralized power is actually in a lot of ways safer. Um, now, this is still a rare thing, so I'm not trying to say you're in danger because you've done this, but please do be careful with your batteries. Um, several of my friends have done this, and they, they really like the freedom of being off the grid, and they have actually cut themselves off from the grid entirely, and they particularly like not having to pay these various service fees. I can't do that with my house. I rent. Uh, <laughs> and even if I didn't rent, I'm a little uncomfortable myself having that sort of apparatus in my home because I have a small child who likes to stick forks in light sockets and having a battery bank around the house for me would actually be very dangerous because my daughter's a little physicist. Um, I like having central storage or central uh, electricity generation and if we went away from that, which is, which is a viable option, Right? We, can, we can do this where, where everybody puts solar panels on their roof and they generate their own personal electricity, and we can do that. But in Alberta, it wouldn't actually have as big of an impact as we might think because it's really the home heating and the industrial use that uses so much. Have I answered your question? Terry Shillington, thank you very much, Jason, for such a, a thoughtful and informative presentation. Uh, it's a question of curiosity, hearing this presentation, and you kind of invite a rush to nuclear energy. Um, is coal, uh, uh, maybe a devil's question, but is coal at all redeemable? Uh, is there any way that it can be a clean source of fuel, or would you advise us just leaving it in the ground and uh, moving on? I, I was doing my best to be technologically neutral, and, and I am a passionate advocate for, for nuclear. Um, and I want to... I wanna couch that by saying we need it all we need all of our energy sources we can't get away with with just taking anything off the table including coal I was going off on one of my anti-coal rants and a student of mine raised his hand and he said I like coal and he did this in front of 60 people and it was it was very much a challenge and I looked him in the eye and I said okay why and he said coal is what made the modern world possible Coal brought about the Industrial Revolution. Coal brought about literacy rates. Coal brought about the wealth that we have enjoyed in the 19th and 20th and now 21st century. It is the easiest source of electricity to install, which is why China is doing it so much. One gigawatt of new coal generation is going onto China's grid every week. So Alberta has four gigawatts of coal. They're doing that every month. They're increasing that every month. So clearly there is an economic drive for coal. Can it ever be made clean? Carbon capture and sequestration is a wonderful idea. And in Saskatchewan at the Boundary Dam Project, they are doing some amazing things with carbon capture and sequestration. If you capture the carbon and you capture all the scrubbers, and so you put the scrubbers to get the NOx and the SOx and the particulate matter and the mercury and everything else, and the uranium, 
and you turn that into solid waste, it is actually, coal is not nearly as bad as I had initially thought. But in order to do that, you have to create a market situation where people are willing to suddenly make their electricity four times as expensive. So can we do coal? Absolutely. Should we do coal? In fact, we probably should if we can develop this carbon capture and sequestration is, is my feeling. I don't think we're going to be rushing to get on the let's stop climate change bandwagon. I think it's an awful lot of talk and, and very little action at the moment. Until that changes, we are going to continue to see coal. And for places like China, this is making a major difference. Kids can now read after dark because of, because of the huge increase in electricity in China. That's a good thing. It's just got, it's a trade-off, right? It's a trade-off. Thank you, uh, Jason, and thank you, too, for your sense of humor that uh, helps a serious issue uh, uh, be a little more, bit more understandable. Um, I'm on the Leftbridge Environmental Council, and, of course, we're looking at a lot of these things around energy and so on and waste and so on. And so on. I guess I hear you saying one of the things that we should, could be encouraging would be to use the solar uh, for water heating. Uh, uh, how would we... Like, we're looking at solar panels uh, uh, for electricity right now, have a committee for that. So what would you be saying to us as a, a local council, uh, a variety of environmental people and so on involved, what would you be saying to us that would be helpful for us to be doing? Um, I'm a big fan of solar thermal. Uh, having south-facing windows, having proper insulation in your houses, um, my house is poorly insulated. I rent. There's very little I can do about it. When you have a house that's already built, there's very little you can do about it. Insulating your house properly does a lot more good for the environment. Uh, even replacing windows, making sure that your, your doors are closing properly, these things have a much bigger impact on the environmental consequences of our, of our fuel use. One of the problems with photovoltaics is that it's very clean at the point where you're using it. The point where you're making it photovoltaic cells can be really, really dirty. So when you are manufacturing the components, as you said, as the previous question said, all over the world, you're making an environmental catastrophe in China so that you can have clean electricity here. Solar water heating is you put water in sunlight and it heats up. You don't have to worry about batteries. You don't have to worry about disposal of batteries. The material doesn't break down. It's cheaper, it's more reliable, it saves more energy, and it's better for the environment. I, I try to be neutral, but on that one, I'm not. Two more questions. Uh, Knut Peterson is my name. Uh, Jason, thanks for coming. Uh, I'm just wondering about availability of fuel, not only fossil, but also nuclear fuel. Is there a finite supply of that, or what are we looking at? Are we ultimately going to have to rely on renewable energy uh, down the road? Uh, is there any sk skips that we can take to jump over some of those uh, fuels that uh, are available now? I'm just a s give me a second. I have a really cool simulation on that. And I'm not sure I know where it is. Darn. The short answer is, uh, with coal, we have hundreds of years left. The, the, the great thing about coal is we have 400 years left. The bad thing about coal is we have 400 years left. 
Uh, it turns out natural gas with the advent of fracking, the real problem with fracking is not that you can light your tap water on fire. That's not actually caused by fracking. The real problem with fracking is it suddenly puts a whole lot of uh, methane into the market that previously hadn't been available. We are not going to run out of coal. doesn't look like we're actually going to run out of methane. doesn't look like we're going to run out of oil for a while either. We are potentially going to run out of the materials necessary to build wind turbines, though. Every single wind turbine has one ton of rare earth magnets. They're called rare earths because there's not a lot of them. So it's not actually a foregone conclusion that we will be able to build enough wind turbines to meet all of our needs because if you can't grow it, you got to mine it. And there's, there's an awful lot in there. We are in no danger of running out of primary energy. We are in danger of the environmental consequences of using particular sources of energy. In terms of nuclear fuels, it's no problem. Really, it's just no problem. I can give you a more technical answer if you want afterwards. We're not going to run out of nuclear fuels. We're not going to run out of methane. We're not going to run out of coal. We probably won't run out of oil. Last question. Bev Mundell-Atherstone, thank you very much for your talk. I just want to clarify two things that you said. One is with the solar panels, um, we have 24 solar panels in our yard, and um, we are on the grid, mm -hmm. and we put our energy that we don't use into the grid mm -hmm. and take energy off. So we do not have any batteries. So mm -hmm. nothing's going to explode in our house. Correct. So that was one thing I wanted to make sure that you knew. And the second <laughs> thing is that uh, we have um, a way of heating our water that is also not solar and not gas. It's called a heat pump, and it's the reverse technology of your refrigerator. Yep. And this is a, a very simple process, and it simply takes the ambient heat from the area around it and heats your water. Wonderful. That's a great way to do it. You can either take the ambient heat from the air, or you can take the ambient heat from the ground. Both work. Both are good processes. Um, if we did more of that, that would actually make a really big difference. I don't know whether that's better than the solar th thermal heating or not. I've never read a paper or done the calculation myself. Um, I, I don't wish to overstate the danger of the batteries either. Uh, <laughs> it's not that every single one of these blows up, but when you start looking at a population of 4 million people, you've got a million households, there winds up being problems over the course of that large number of these things. And that's, that's where there, there becomes problems, is, is not on a one-person basis. Right? It's like driving your car. You're generally safe, but over the course of the entire province, over the course of the year, it does wind up killing people. And, and the, the batteries situation is similar to that. Was that a, a sufficient clarification? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very, very much. I thank you for the good questions, and I certainly thank uh, Dr. Donovan for, for informing us and making us all more energy literate. Please uh, help me thank him for coming and, and, and delivering his wonderful